Good morning, church. I trust and hope and pray that you are well today. Obviously, um, this message isn't in real time. I'm not recording this live this morning. We are not um, live on Zoom. It's not uh, 3.30 in the morning outside. Um, but please know as you, you gather to watch this this morning, that you are in our thoughts and in our prayers, particularly with the continued challenge that um, lockdown and COVID poses, but also because of the recent uncertainty that I'm sure you have felt with the, the challenge of Eric and Michelle and Kinza having to head back to Holland. And just the, the general happenings of the world just now, it can all feel a bit overwhelming. Please know that Julie and I, we, we keep a close eye on the church WhatsApp group and particularly over the last few weeks, um, our, our thoughts and our prayers have been drawn toward um, the community that we still very much feel a part of in Johor. But know this too, that you in Johor at IBCBI are part of the universal body of Christ. And you're an extension of that body in Johor, just as much as we are an extension of that body here in Aberdeen in Scotland. And just last week, the young adult worker from our, our home church here in Aberdeen, she got in touch with me to say that this week um, she wanted to make IBCBI the prayer focus for the week. And therefore, all of this week, members of our church here in Scotland have been upholding you guys in prayer. So please take encouragement from that. Take encouragement from the fact that you're part of a body that looks after its own, that prays for its own, that cares for its own, and that loves its own. You're very much still in our thoughts and in our prayers. And so this week, as we continue our series on the values of the church, for this week, I've elected, somewhat unsurprisingly, to speak on the value of prayer, biblical prayer. And if we were together just now in that beautiful upper room in the, the sanctuary there at Bukit Inda, on the walls are all of the church values. And if we were to stand and read the value on prayer together, we would see this written on the wall. Let me read it to you. Believers have access to God and communicate with him in prayer. We, as a church, are committed to finding our strength, our direction, our focus and vision through continual communication with God in prayer. That's the value that the church places on biblical prayer. Prayer is a, is a spiritual discipline, and I must confess it doesn't come easy for me and I'm sure it's one in which others find challenging too. And so as we consider what biblical prayer looks like, I would like us to do that by taking some of the thoughts from the book of Philippians and considering what it has to say about prayer in the first chapter. So I'm going to read that to you now. We're going to read from Philippians 1, beginning verse 1, and we're going to read down to the section's conclusion at verse 11. I'm reading from the ESV translation, and it starts like this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, 
to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have put you in my heart, and, whatever, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 9, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's just pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, as we gather together um, this Sunday morning remotely from our homes to Come and meditate and consider your word. Lord, we just give you thanks for the ability and the privilege that it is to meet together as a church, even through Zoom, and to be able to read these ancient words that speak so strongly today. Lord, we pray that as we Consider this text, Lord, that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would reveal more of yourself to us, that you would challenge our thoughts, that you would encourage our hearts, Lord, that you would give us ears to listen and eyes to see. Lord, that we would come to a greater and better understanding of the one who cares for us and loves us so much. Lord, speak to us today, we pray in your precious Son's name. Amen. As we look at this passage, I would like to share three brief reflections on what has challenged me personally about this passage, and also three reflections on what I think the Lord, through Paul, is saying to the readers in Philippi regarding prayer. But just before I do that, I want us to take notice of the significance of the opening couple of verses. If you're to go back and read verse 1 and 2, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all of God's holy people in Christ, Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing is certain about the Apostle Paul. He was always about his master's work. Even in the opening of this letter to the believers in Philippi, he can't help but repeatedly mention his saviour. He calls himself 
a servant of Christ, verse 1. And he wishes his readers grace and peace from God, his Father and his Lord, Jesus Christ, verse 2. In doing this, he gives us a glimpse of not only what drives this specific message to his friends in Macedonia, but about what drives his entire life. Paul was completely in love with Jesus because he knew Jesus. Later in Philippians 3 and verse 8, it would, Paul would go on to say this, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. This was not the kind of knowing you experience after reading a fact in a book. But rather he knew and he embraced the reality of Jesus Christ as his treasure. And the beauty of his saviour transformed his entire worldview. For Paul, Jesus was everything. His love, his purpose and his mission. And therefore it underpinned everything he would write about and everything he would teach about. And so it is in this framework it is in this context that we are to examine and understand the next nine verses. We are to, to read them through this lens of a person who has come to know God's saving grace and of a person whose conviction has encouraged him to tell the masses and then to continue to encourage those who have come to believe in the same Jesus. And so when we look at these next nine verses, the three things that challenge me with regard prayer is that we are instructed to pray regularly. Secondly, that we are instructed to pray rightly. And then thirdly, I think, that we are to pray relationally. Pray regularly, pray rightly, Pray relationally. Challenge number one, pray regularly. Verses three and four say this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. These two short sentences tell us a lot about the prayer life of Paul. And we can see pretty quickly that he is a man who is committed to prayer. He thanks God every time he remembers them. In all of my prayers, he remarks, I always pray with joy. The language of every and all and always doesn't point to a life of infrequent communication with God, but rather to, to a life that is connected, dependent and punctuated by prayer. And this characterization is consistent with all of Paul's other letters. If you were to look at Romans 12 and 12, you would see this. Paul writes, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Thessalonians 1, 5 and 17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6 and 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. What Paul teaches us here is not any great revelation. 
but rather just the fundamentals of a solid, disciplined prayer life with God our Father. Paul, in these opening remarks, doesn't command us to pray regularly. He just demonstrates that he is a man of regular prayer. And this life of prayerful discipline, Paul learned firstly from Jesus. Timothy Keller, in his book called Prayer, highlights this very thing when he says, and I quote, Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray. He healed people with prayers. He denounced the corruption of temple worship, which he said should be a house of prayer, and insisted that some demons could be cast out only through prayer. He prayed often and regularly, with fervent cries and tears, and sometimes all night. The Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying, and he was transfigured with the divine glory of God as he prayed. When Jesus faced his greatest crisis, he did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples in the church on the night before he died, and then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. Finally, he died praying. However, in spite of these examples and in spite of Paul's clear dispensation toward prayer and indeed our clear obligation as disciples of Christ to communicate with God, the church really struggles with the discipline of prayer. Research last year by the Pew Institute found that only 54% of mainstream evangelicals in the United States affirmed to pray at least daily. But maybe even more revealing behind these stats was the finding that when the research looked at millennials, that's people of my generation, that the number of people that said that they prayed regularly slipped to a meagre 12%. The most basic of spiritual disciplines is declining rapidly in modern church culture. And so it is as pertinent as ever that we take heed of the inferred instruction to commit ourselves to regular prayer. That's what the church value says. Communicate constantly with God. Regular prayer can be a struggle and we need to critically evaluate our prayer lives. Maybe to discover the real us, we need to look at what we spend our time thinking about when there is nothing else to occupy our minds. Maybe we need to think more about God when no one is looking. When no one is watching and there's nothing to focus our minds on, what are we thinking about in such moments? Does our attention turn toward God? Do we want to be seen as humble, unassuming people? But do we take the initiative to confess our sins before God? Do we wish to be perceived as positive, cheerful people? But do we habitually thank God for everything we have and praise him for who he is? Maybe we speak a great deal about what a blessing our faith is. 
and how we just really love Jesus. But if we are prayerless people, is that really true? If we aren't joyful, humble and faithful in private before God, then what we want to appear to be on the outside won't match who we truly are on the inside. What kind of marriage, what kind of friendship or even relationship would we have with someone that we never spoke to? Just prior to giving his disciples the Lord's Prayer, Jesus offered some preliminary ideas, including this one. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen in secret. The infallible test of spiritual integrity, Jesus says, is our private prayer lives. And it begins with a regular commitment to prayer. How do we do that practically, you may ask? Maybe we achieve it in the simple things. We can encourage our discipline toward prayer by using accountability partners. We can use apps on our phones. We can set aside specific times each day to pray. Maybe by making better use of our commutes to work when we return. Or even by encouraging our children to hold us accountable to praying with them at their bedtime. My own prayer life at work has been made better just prior to lockdown and indeed throughout lockdown through one such example. The only other Christian in my office approached me in the canteen just before lockdown and he said to me, could we commit to regularly praying together for the rest of the office? And by marking it in our calendars, by booking a meeting room, or now by holding uh, Zoom calls together at an appointed time, and actually holding one another accountable, and by actually covenanting to regular prayer for our colleagues, we have shown that it is possible to have a disciplined prayer life. And it's made a difference to our workplace. And so we need to encourage each other to pray regularly, often and fervently because a regular prayer life is a characteristic of a life transformed by Jesus. The second challenge is this. We are encouraged to pray rightly. You will notice throughout the passage that we have read that Paul doesn't once speak about praying for his own needs or concerns. Indeed, in these opening paragraphs of this letter to the church in Philippi, he doesn't even draw the reader's immediate attention to the fact that he's locked up in a Roman prison cell. He holds this information until halfway down our passage. And what is significant about this is the ordering of Paul's priorities. He understands that he is a servant, firstly to God, verse 1, secondly to his neighbour, verse 3, and then lastly to himself, verse 7. The Lord Jesus himself, when asked by the disciples to teach them to pray 
answered them like this, that God's name would be treated as holy, that his kingdom would come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. After this, he teaches us to pray for our own needs. So to pray rightly, the Lord's glory, hallowed be your name, and the Lord's work, your kingdom come, your will be done, should be uppermost in our prayers. And when we pray like this, when we pray rightly, we will be doing so by having the right motivation, the right mindset, the right understanding and the right relationship. Our motivation should be driven by the authority of Jesus. Paul urges us to pray through our Lord Jesus. We see that in verse is 9 through to 11, which is an appeal to Christ's authority. You see, when Jesus gave the Great Commission just before he ascended into heaven, he said this, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That doesn't leave any place where Jesus does not have the authority. So we can pray to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ with the confidence that he has the power and the authority to answer our prayers that are in accordance with his will. If you've ever had a difficult matter to resolve, you know that if you try going to the low-level administrator, your chances of getting that problem fixed are rather slim. But if you know someone who's in a position of authority and that you can go directly to him or to her, you have a much better chance of success in fixing your problem. As Christians, we can go directly to the God of the universe through the authority of his Son, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. That should motivate us to pray. Also, to pray rightly, we should pray with the right mindset which is to recognise that prayer is warfare. In Ephesians 6 and 12, Paul tells us this, For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. All around us just now is a great battle. The devil is a very real thing. And as we sit in our homes, gathered remotely as the church of IBCBI, we shouldn't be wondering just now about if the devil is going to attack. But rather we should be wondering about how he is going about his attacking right now. Just now, Maybe more than ever, he is scheming in the background, looking to sow seeds of disharmony, looking to sow seeds of apathy, looking to sow seeds of doubt, looking to divide this vibrant church, looking to pick off the vulnerable amongst us and looking to mask the potential for this church to shine brightly in this corner of Malaysia. Church, you have and I have a responsibility to you and we have a responsibility to one another to close ranks 
and to petition the King of Kings for your brothers and sisters in this place right now. For when you pray for your brothers and sisters to find their ultimate satisfaction in God, you will find that God in turn is most glorified in this church. For God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Therefore, prayer requires us to strive together. Yes, it's true that the righteous prayers of a person can accomplish much, but when more people pray, God gets more glory when he answers. And also when more pray and God answers, it strengthens the faith of all of those who have prayed. And it lightens the load of the person who is praying if others come along and help carry that burden. It helps to know that others care enough to pray for what you need. Since prayer is warfare, it's better to go into battle with as many troops as you can muster rather than to be by yourself. If we were to use Paul's illustration from Ephesians, we should be there together using our shields of faith to defend each other against the enemy's arrows, rather than allowing our shields to drop and for those arrows to pick us off. You know there is much to be gained from team effort in prayer. There is much happiness in partnering together in the gospel. This is why Paul speaks in this first chapter about the joy that comes from partnering in the gospel and why he goes on later to say about confirming and defending the gospel together. He has the mindset of spiritual warfare and he is appealing to the church in Philippi to have the same. And God today is appealing to us as a church in Malaysia as IBCBI spread out right across the globe just now to partner together in prayer. Moreover, to, to pray rightly, we should pray with the right understanding, which is that prayer is powerful, but that in it we must submit to God's sovereign will. Take salvation, for example, in the many petitions we, we put to God for our unsaved family, friends and colleagues. Without robbing people of their freedom to choose and their responsibility for their choices, God works all things after the counsel of his will. He uses our prayers as part of that process. But if salvation were to depend ultimately on the free will of lost sinful people, then we should quit praying for their salvation because God's hands would be tied. But if salvation is from the Lord, then pray that he will soften hard hearts, that he will open blind eyes, that he will raise dead sinners and cause them to respond willingly to the gospel. It's true that they must choose to believe in Christ, but it's also true that no one can come to the Jesus, unless the Father first draws him. So pray with the assurance that in some mysterious way that we cannot understand, that God's mighty power to restrain 
evil, to save the lost and to sanctify saints flows through our prayers. Jesus is victorious and therefore Paul can speak easily about being confident that Jesus who begins the good work in the heart of people will see it through to completion. To pray rightly, we should pray with the right relationship which is a relationship of peace with God through Jesus and with fellow man. You notice from verse 2 that Paul speaks of the peace that comes from God and the Lord Jesus Christ and also that in verse 9 that Paul desires that his fellow believers grow in love and knowledge of God through experiencing God's presence, ultimately coming also to know him as the God of peace. Romans 5 and verse 1 says, because of the cross we have peace with God. Jesus being the one on the cross is the one true Son of God and mediator between God and man, the only one who can give us peace with God. And when we have it, we have humility, the Christ-dependent, Christ-exalting humility, which will put an end to self-preoccupation, to self-infatuation, self-exaltation, and frees us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep and to give thought for what is noble in the sight of all, and to return good for evil and to bless those who persecute us. Thus this peace will transcend our understanding and shape our relationship with other believers. We pray rightly when we are in a right relationship with the God of peace and in harmony with our brothers and sisters. Pray regularly, pray rightly, using the correct motivation, the right mindset, understanding and by having the right relationship. Our third challenge is to pray relationally. In verse 4 we read Paul, Tell us that in all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's joy came from two sources, the joy of his being in Christ and also the joy created from fighting the good fight with brothers and sisters like those in Philippi. Relational prayer is about having a conversation with God, not just telling him what we want, but having a real conversation in which we not only talk to him, but also, and perhaps more importantly, listen to him and get to know him and become closer and closer with him. Relational prayer respects the personal nature of God. Relational prayer doesn't just see God as a supplier of whatever we want, but seeks a living and loving relationship with him. God is the most powerful, most beautiful, most personal being that exists. So our relationship with God is the most powerful, most beautiful, most personal relationship that you or I could possibly have. This means nothing in the world is more important than relational prayer. The late British pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, prayer is beyond any question the highest activity 
of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when on his knees he comes face to face with God. Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his greatest and highest when on his knees he comes face to face with God. Prayer brings you into God's throne room and puts you in touch with the king of the universe. If it's a great thing to talk to a president or a prime minister or a queen, then surely it's the greatest thing of all to talk with the ruler of all of these people, with the ruler of the entire universe, and to have a personal relationship with him. Relational prayer is about spending time with the almighty God. That's the highest possible company. And it lifts us higher than anything else we can do. And it also gives God more pleasure than anything else we can do. As prayer lifts our hearts to God, it also fills God's heart with pleasure. Proverbs 15 and 8 says this, The prayer of the upright is his delight. God loves for us to come to him in prayer. God enjoys conversations with his children. God likes it when we talk to him and when we listen for his voice. God savours the praises of his people and is happy to pour out his blessings. Relational prayer is much more than bringing God a wish list. But that doesn't mean prayer or relational prayer involves no requests. Far from it. God wants us to ask him for all sorts of things. But he also wants us to ask within the context of a desire to have a relationship with him. When our requests are part of a loving relationship, then God delights in hearing our requests and answering in a way that is best for us. Scripture sometimes pictures prayer as a sweet aroma or as a delicious meal that God enjoys. And John Piper in his book, The Pleasures of God, puts it like this. It is though God has a favourite food. When we pray, he smells the aroma from the kitchen as you prepare his special dish. When God hungers for some special satisfaction, he seeks out a prayer to answer. Our prayer is the highest, sweetest aroma from the kitchen, ascending into the king's chambers, making him hungry for the meal. But the actual enjoyment of the meal is his own glorious work in answering our prayer. The food of God is to answer our prayers. The most wonderful thing about the Bible is that it reveals a God who satisfies his appetite for joy by answering prayers. Prayer is God's favourite food. It's also our best nourishment. Psalm 81 verse 10 declares this, Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. Relational prayer is a feast for God and a feast for us. God feasts on the glory and pleasure of giving us his joy and we feast on God. Belonging to Jesus Christ isn't just a set of beliefs and behaviours. It's a relationship. And that relationship certainly involves believing certain truths and behaving in certain ways. 
But at the heart of that relationship is a personal connection with the Lord. A.W. Tozer, the great theologian, said this, the continuous and unembarrassed interchange and love of love and thought between God and the soul of the redeemed person is the throbbing heart of New Testament religion. The free interchange of love and thought. That is what relational prayer is. It's the pouring out of our thoughts to God and paying attention to what God is thinking. It's experiencing God's love and it's expressing our love for him. And that relational prayer, that relationship that we have with God transcends into another loving relationship, the loving relationship that we should have for our brothers and sisters. And that's why we should come together in congregational prayer to sit with one another or to meet together over Zoom or Teams or WhatsApp to jointly pray and to jointly declare our praise to him and to petition him for his help in living out our lives together for him. Our times of joint prayer help us to understand the needs of the church. It helps us to encourage one another. It helps us to grow as a group of believers. It gets us to the point that Paul speaks about in verse 9 and 10 where it says that our love may abound more and more in the depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Relational prayer with each other is about encouragement. It's about growing and understanding and sharpening one another to run the race most fully. You know, when we get to, to heaven and we see God face to face, when he asks us the question, did you love me? Perhaps you'll say, yes, 100% I loved you. Maybe not 100% of the time, but I loved you. How about when God asks you a second question? Did you love my people? Well, that's a different question, isn't it? If we're honest with ourselves, it's hard to love all the saints, right? There are people who you find it hard to get on with and people who you struggle with. But God doesn't call us to ignore them or to tolerate them or to even just like them. No, he calls us to love them. That's the person on your right and it's the person on your left and it's the person who lives in front and it's the person who lives behind. You are to love them and you are to pray for them and you are to pray with them. That is our command. It is relational prayer. There was an old lady that uh, was part of our, our church here in Aberdeen who understood relational prayer very well. And we, when we were overseas um, with you in Malaysia, and when we'd come back during our summer holidays to, to Aberdeen, uh, every time we would, we would set foot in the church here, this uh, old lady... Mrs. Short would, would make a beeline for us the minute she spotted us. And after the, the pleasantries and the gentle inquiries about our time 
over in Malaysia, she would say this. Remember, I pray regularly for your family and your fellowship in Malaysia. And despite her advanced years, I never had any doubt that that was ever just a flippant Christian comment. That old lady most certainly did pray for us. And I'm convinced that she prayed regularly, that she prayed rightly, and that she prayed relationally because she understood and embraced the reality of Christ Jesus as her treasure. And so as I leave you this morning, let it be our heart's desire that we too would strive to pray more regularly, that we would strive to pray in the right fashion, and that we would pray to enjoy our most precious relationship with God the Father. We have access to God to communicate with him in prayer. We are committed as a church to finding our strength, direction, focus and vision through continual communication with God in prayer. Pray regularly, brothers and sisters. Pray rightly and pray relationally. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to pray to you, to petition your throne, to have open access to a God who listens to our prayers and a God who acts as he sees fit to those prayers. Lord, we thank you that you are interested in listening to the voice of your children, that you enjoy hearing from us, and Lord, that you, through your Spirit, speak into our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we consider this passage from Philippians today, as we as we leave our homes and go about our daily lives, Lord, that you would remind us, that you would prompt us through your Spirit to be people of prayer, to pray to you in praise for all that you have given us, to pray to you for all of our needs, and Father, to pray to you for our brothers and sisters. Lord, that together we would spur one each other on and that we would serve you better. Lord, be with us today in your precious Son's name. Amen.